Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. No sense defending anymore. Lloyd's got to get this pass off to Rapino, and everybody's got a bomb forward now. Rapino gets a crossing. It's towards one. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. It was a depleted fixture list in the WSL, but both Manchester clubs took their chance to shine. We ask whether fortunes are finally turning on both sides of the city. We also check in with two sides that are vying to join them in the WSL, Liverpool and London City Lionesses, who are both reaping the rewards from two very different approaches. And we preview the Asian Cup, which kicks off on Thursday, and have a look at the FIFA Best Awards. That's an decent up from distance. That's a very good effort. Erin Cuthbert. Goodness me. Chloe. Hello. You got out of a long trip up north. I didn't get out you of got, a long you got trip out. You got out of up north. I just... You know, I'm suspicious. I'm very, I was very dedicated at training this week, obviously. We had a big game ahead of us and things didn't go to plan on Friday night. So it wasn't a case of like me you know, Friday night. Ship. How did it happen? How did you break your finger? Um, well, I was uh, obviously heroically going down for an amazing dive, which I obviously saved. Amazing. And uh, another goalkeeper that I was working with at the time was obviously coming towards me and my finger caught in the middle. Sabotage. It maybe. I mean, I'm not. I've not accused her of that, and I, and I won't. Well, with her do. foot, with her hand, what happened? Uh, with her foot, yeah. So, and I felt we'd go, and I was like, no, it's, you know, you have little knocks and things, in, in you know, niggles and training. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to power through, and I'm going to keep on playing. And then you remembered you've got Durham some, the weekend. Was this some kind like of like intense <laughs> one-on-one mano a mano goalkeepers union training? Because what were you doing, just like? So close to proximity to each other. I, I was know. diving at feet, um, and then she oh, was I going see. to play the ball. Yeah, and right. I sort of went to go and smother the ball, and then my finger got trapped in the middle. And I was Blech. like, "Yeah, I was trying to be really hero- heroic though, because I was just like, oh, okay, well, you know, these things happen. I'll carry on, see how it goes." And um, yeah, then I went to A and E, uh, and Homerton said otherwise. Goalkeeping right. is not for the faint-hearted, my friends. It is not. I mean, the state of these fingers. What's the worst injury you've ever had? Actually, uh, concussion. I think it was. I'd gone from playing at Arsenal. No, I'd gone from Spurs to Arsenal and then played my first game with Arsenal against Spurs and then someone lobbed me and I ended up smashing my (gasps) um, head, the back of my head against the metal goalpost and 
Yeah, I just bled everywhere and oh ruined the Arsenal case. shirts. Yeah. Did oh you save God. the ball though? That saved the goal. I absolutely did not. Oh. So it was well worth it. Oh, so mate. the injury was not to get out of Durham. We believe you. Thousands wouldn't. Let the Thank record you. show, let the minutes of this episode show that it was an accident and Chloe definitely wanted to go to Durham. That is on record now. I'm also a lawyer, so everything that I say is legally valid. We have the transcript for this episode <laughs> Legally now. valid, that's the phrase, isn't it? <laughs> we, we didn't have a full set of fixtures yet again in the WSL. Two games cancelled, Chelsea, Everton and Arsenal Reading uh, for COVID and, and injuries, a kind of mix of that. But I feel like this weekend, although obviously we saw Leicester hit back, which was huge, beating Brighton and really kind of changes the narrative yet again for the relegation battle, I think that's going to potentially go like right to the last day which is exciting but it did feel like this weekend was kind of all about Manchester was that oh quite good Manchester was that quite good accent? I'm not going to do Manchester. that Manchester um, and actually throwback does anyone remember that video Georgia Stanway on the bus it was like a city men and women uh, open top bus parade to celebrate like a Premier League title and like maybe like a WSL title I can't remember and someone shouting at her from the crowd and they're like Georgia, what's your number? And she turns around and she goes, oh, one, two, one, two, one. And it was really good. Or is it oh, one, six, Top one? And maybe I've just killed it. It was like oh, one, six, one, oh, God, do we need two, to do this one. Because oh, one, six, one is the area code for Manchester. Anyway, let's Great go chat. back. Sorry, there's good, there's good video. <laughs> She's not interested in my weekend. We just want to hear about Georgia's number. Um, yeah, and her number. That's fine. Yeah, Manchester. Yeah, smashing it. So I got to do the Man United game and Sophie did Man City. Um, Man City have really been on a impressive run at the moment, just kind of quietly going about their business. Yeah. Don't want to make a big deal out of it, but yeah, definitely creeping their way up the table, um, scoring lots of goals. I think probably a combination of, you know, return from injuries. I wouldn't put it all down on the fact that uh, Lucy Bronze and Steph Hutton are back. You know, they're good, but like they're not going to carry the weight of the whole team. But I think it definitely instills confidence in in Manchester, they can play a much more fluid game without kind of the fear of, oh God, what, what if someone steals the ball and goes and attacks our makeshift defence? So I think a combination of them coming back, a combination of players who are maybe playing out of position, having more time in those positions. And, you know, Georgia Stanway absolutely smashing it. More goals to her name. I think she's a very versatile player and sometimes that means you don't get to see her at her best. But now that she's playing in her more traditional midfield role, we're yeah, she she had to fill in at right wing back, which is just crap for her. So yeah. it's nice to see her kind of like be able to play where she wants to play and do what she's kind of supposed to do. I guess what's probably happened to Manchester City is what we're sort of talking about with Arsenal and, and the loss of Aaliyah Williamson. And maybe I had kind of understated how big the loss of Bronze and Steph Orton would be because they're obviously in the later stages of their career and we don't think they necessarily have as big an impact as they may have had in the past. But at the same time that experience and leadership, like you say, it makes a massive impact. And now we're kind of seeing that with Arsenal. And you're maybe I'm sort of realising as well with City, like, oh, yeah, that, that actually will make a massive difference beyond just the footballing ability, which they were obviously missing defensively in a huge way. Just that leadership. That leadership is back there. You've got two very experienced players, one of them your captain. It means a lot for the squad. Especially because they're both defenders. I think if you were missing players like that further up the field, it might have less of an impact. But... You can't have a very unconfident, unconfident um, back line that, you know, if you start to stress there, if you put pressure on a back line and they're not confident, you're going to leak goals. So that's the other fact that they're both defenders. You're seeing a, a big loss there, but their confidence is huge and their, their experience is huge. We should caveat these results a little bit, though, Chloe, because 
they've got Arsenal this weekend, and that's the true test of how good they're going to be. Because, Is it? I mean, that <laughs> well, would be a massive challenge. Yeah, 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 yeah I suppose okay. you mean like Arsenal are bruised a little bit yeah. broken in a bit of disarray, but, but I Man think City have had like a, a nice chilled start to the new year. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but it just it looks like a fresh squad. They look like they've gone away, gone into the Christmas break, obviously done the training, um, and just had a bit of a a refresh, a relook at where they are. You know, appreciated that the first half of the season hasn't gone to plan for them at all. And I think everyone can appreciate that. But you know, when we've spoken previously, I think we always thought that it was going to be a chance for Gareth Taylor to really show his worth in January once you've got players back from injury and once you've had that brief break. And, you know, they've come out all guns blazing. I mean, what, 14 goals in three games, um, you know, back to their flying form. And I think this is the Man City that we were all expecting to see at the start of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see how they come up against Arsenal. Um, but yeah, that will be the first challenge of of this year. It's going to be a big one. The clean sheets have been huge as well because Taib, who had been uh, playing in the place of... Roebuck and uh, Bardsley, she picked up a knock. So Kiara Keating, who's what, 18, I think, has she started the game at the weekend um, and she's kind of stepped up. So for her to be getting three clean sheets, in a, well, for the squad to be getting three clean sheets in a row of which she's played a part, and I think two of them, is massive. Um, and I think probably that comes back down to the defence as well. So you think with Ellie Roebuck, when she eventually does come back, that's going to be huge because they're still doing this without their first choice goalkeeper. Well, I think it's huge for an 18-year-old. I think you can't appreciate the kind of pressure that goalkeepers are under generally. And I obviously have a lot of time and appreciation for the goalkeeping profession. Um, but Goalkeepers you know, she's union, baby. 100%. But not only that, but she's 18 years old. She's playing at that level. That was her debut WSL appearance. You know, she's coming off the back of obviously having you know three other goalkeepers injured. And also, I suppose... When you look at someone like Taib, who's a much more experienced goalkeeper in the kind of errors that she was making under pressure, and you don't see the same kind of errors being made with, with Keaton at all. She looks really confident, and that's that's amazing to and see. I, I specifically did a piece, kind of maybe October, November time, about how many errors City were making and how many errors Taib was making. And actually, it makes such a difference when you feel like you've got a, a goalkeeper that you can kind of like have a bit more confidence in, mm-hmm. a bit more trust in. Because even some of these games that City won before the the break, notably that Birmingham City game, they were still conceding two goals against one of the weakest, well, weakest sides in the league. That doesn't look great. Like there were a lot of matches that City were coming through, but they weren't getting clean sheets. That game against Leicester, where they conceded a goal in like the first five minutes, ended up smashing them. But to get to clean sheets feels like huge for these guys. Yeah, literally feels like you're starting from the back and working your way up through the team. And if you've got if you're confident in that back line and it's going to build and bleed through the team and as I touched on earlier you're it's allowing them to be more fluid and it's allowing them to play their quick passing style of football without that fear of what's going to happen behind so you're really seeing that I mean granted Leicester put out a very kind of young team um in the in the midweek game but you're seeing you're seeing them play like the old city again and it's it's nice to see but I think even I think when you look at kind of you know you're saying about not conceding goals and obviously that's important for confidence but you know when you look at how close the top of the table is going to become I think it could even go down to something like goal difference so if you're not conceding goals that could be what actually matters at the end of the season so you know credit to them for for cleaning that area up so all in all the vibes are pretty good at city which is kind of crazy considering where they were like 3 months ago and I was on this very podcast saying like sack Gareth Taylor. I you think there were. are still, for me, question marks about his his ability to lead them to where they want to be and with the squad that they have and the potential. Um, let's kind of flip to the other side of Manchester now. City up to fifth on the table. I think they will 
regardless of everything, probably quietly creep up and, and claim that third Champions League spot somehow. If not more. Yeah, I mean, with, with the rate of Arsenal are kind of sinking a little bit. But let's look at Manchester United because they are in third at the moment. Um, another team that have been quietly doing their thing, getting good results against sides that they should be beating. But really, I think all of us want to see them step up against the top teams because... When they um, started this season, I looked at that back line and thought that's a really good back line that Skinner's put together. Aoife Mannion, who spent a lot of her time at City injured, but is a very good defender. Hannah Blundell, who you know has been knocking on the door of contention for England and a very, very good player who wasn't going to be starting at Chelsea and has already shown how good Anya Bache, one of the most exciting fullbacks in the league. And, and Maria Torres-Totter and Millie Turner, you know, two decent centre-backs. But when Man United have played the top teams, they kind of crumbled a little bit. That game against Chelsea, that game against Arsenal should have really beaten City. So they're quietly doing their thing. They're being teams they need to. But what's the ceiling? Have, have they reached it? Um, no, I don't think so. I think what we're seeing now, what's good is in the past, Man United have started seasons well. And then post-Christmas, that's when it tends to kind of I feel like they always get a really bit. nice fixture list. They always front load their fixtures, Manchester United. I feel like under Casey Stoney in the WSL too, they front load the, the fixtures. It always seems like no, I'm not this isn't a conspiracy, <laughs> but what I mean is they I was always about to say sorry, no, that's I didn't, how mean, I didn't mean didn't mean it as a conspiracy. What I mean is they always they always have quite nice fixture schedules where, where they get like the the quote unquote easier games slightly early, so front loading their season a little bit, and then it's like it inflates the table a tad. Then they play the bigger teams and they get knocked down again, and then they kind of come. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's going to be really key for Man United is if they can keep this momentum into the new year, that will do wonders for their confidence because they'll already feel like they're improving on previous years if they can if they can maintain that into January, February. Um, and they've got key players back like Jackie Gronin, um, Millie Turner. That's just only going to bolster their squad and, and boost their confidence. So I think that's probably the biggest thing for them is getting the next few games under their belt, getting the next few wins under their belt and keeping that momentum. And they could then potentially be pushing Man City for that for that third spot. Do you think though, because I'm looking at the squad they have now and it's a very exciting squad. Uh, Vilda Boarisa, I think is a really exciting player. I think she's been really, really good in the second half of the season so far. But if United don't get that third Champions League spot with the kind of head start they were given, given City's season so far, they don't go to, say, a cup final, that would be a disappointing season, would it not, given the investment they've had? I agree that it would be disappointing, but I think we can't still take away from the fact that, you know, Man United are still fairly new entrants to the WSL. And I think they've been one of the teams that have been the most consistent since coming up. And I think, you know, it's so difficult to enter the WSL. They obviously had so much back in. They had Casey Stoney, who was an incredible leader. Obviously, she's left and Mark Skinner's come in and, you know, he's done incredible things with the squad. But I think that is the issue that you pointed out before, is that they are consistently great against the middle of the table teams. They're okay against the Reddings, the Tottenham's, the Everton's. But when it comes to playing the big the big boys, the big guns, it feels like actually they, they do crumble and fall apart. And I think that is the, the kind of additional level that they're failing to hit. And I think even this season, I don't think that's going to happen for them. I just, I don't see them pulling this out of the bag and getting that, that spot. But I think next season, I think that's where their ambitions are definitely going to be. They're obviously there this year, but I just, I don't think it's realistic. You don't think they can hold on to third where they are now? I think it will be a struggle. Yeah, I'm I, calling it. I think Mark Skinner has time. And I think he knows that he has time. I think he's in there personally. It feels like he's there for the long run. Run. He's there to build something. And I don't 
it doesn't appear like he's under pressure to start mm-hmm. winning titles now. I'm really intrigued to see Man United against Arsenal in the Conti Cup this week uh, with them coming off the back of an impressive performance and Arsenal being in the form that they're in. That could be interesting. And while it's not, you know, a league game, it could do wonders for potentially Man United's confidence if they do pull something out of the bag against Arsenal during the week. Yeah, and United seem to love the Conti Cup. They beat City in their group and I feel like they... They take it quite seriously, which is not to say that other teams don't, but obviously like Leicester knew against Manchester City that like that staying in the league is the priority, right? So they They would have needed a nine goal swing. Yeah. It's it's like it's like City were always gonna progress probably out that group in this rearranged fixture. Like the chances were, were pretty low that they were gonna get through. So, you know, there's no point in 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 losing some players. But it feels like United kind of realised that this could be a good competition for them to go in. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see where these two go. I mean, I think that third spot is going to rotate over the next couple of weeks constantly because we've now got like a couple of clubs with, well, Chelsea got two games in hand, some clubs with just one game in hand. So I feel like it's going to be a bit of a merry-go-round who sits in that third spot. But that's exciting for the league. I think, you know, we shouldn't take our eyes off the top two either because while Chelsea have two games in hand, it means the pressure's on them. Um, they need to get those results to maintain their position. So I think that's that's going to make it really exciting. And then down the bottom of the table, with the form Leicester were, are in and the way they played at the weekend and they're taking on Aston Villa next, you know, they could potentially pull Villa into that relegation battle, which I don't think any of us maybe saw coming. Um, so yeah it could be it could be interesting at both ends of the table not just Champions League spot but you know top two as well Mandel's cross it's a good one and it's 5-0 Alessia Russo on target for the Red Devils and a five star performance has its fifth goal really good cross dug out by Blundell Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This week, Clive Anderson is joined by comedian Stephen K. Amos on My Seven Wonders, the show where guests select their personal seven wonders of the world. Stephen discusses his fame down under, who inspires his comedy, and how he got on during lockdown. My dad, early 80s, came to stay with me for two weeks of the lockdown. I had no idea, after all these years, that he is a twat. I had no idea, Clive, that the heating in my house could be set to lava. And I said to him, why is the heating on so high? And without skipping a beat, he just said, I don't pay the bill here. Now, this (laughs) is, is the kind of thing I have to deal with. 
Listen to My Seven Wonders with Clive Anderson on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Championship, your beloved championship, all our beloved championship. Um, another another league in which it's getting spicy. It's that second place. We've got third place in the in the WSL that's constantly changing. That second place in the championship is well up for grabs. Obviously, unfortunately, it doesn't really necessarily win you anything um, because only one team is going to go up. That might change fairly soon, but only one team is going to go up and feels like that top spot is Liverpool's to lose at the moment. They had a, a, a tough start to to this season, but they've been a bit of a runaway train since. A ridiculous squad. You know, Leanne Keenan's in ridiculous form. Katie Stengel, they've just added as well. She scored for the first time at the weekend. It feels like it's going to be really tough for, for anyone to challenge, but I suppose what the situation does show, Liverpool being seven points clear, but London City Lionesses, Palace, both have, have games in hand. But I, I guess what this does show, which is really exciting looking ahead, especially for you, Chloe, being a Palace player, is that if Liverpool do get promoted next season, that promotion ch- like title spot is well up for grabs because you've got so many teams. It's so tight. You've got London City Lionesses on 22 points, Palace right behind them on 21, Durham right behind Palace on 21, then Bristol City and Charlton both on 20. All of those clubs super ambitious. Bristol City question mark, but want to get back to WSL. But a lot of those clubs super ambitious, gone full time recently, if not this season, and want to be pushing. And that is so exciting for the league. It's going to be a big competitive year. And I think it starts this year because I think obviously we're only halfway through the season. And whilst Liverpool had a small hiccup at the start with a loss to London City in the first place, Liverpool now note the pressures on them because they're expected, I think, to be the ones that will be entering the WSL this season. So, you know, what they now need to do is maintain that consistent form. And like you said, they've got an amazingly strong squad. I mean, when you go and play Liverpool, you know that you that you, there's a certain amount of respect that you go into that into that um, game playing. You know, in, you know, I've played with Rachel Fernie, at, you know, at, at Spurs, and she's a phenomenal leader herself, Melissa Lawley. Um, yeah, it's just a great squad. And I think obviously with the addition of having Matt Beard as well, who's obviously an experienced WSL uh, manager, they do look like the ones to beat and they do look like they're going to be the favourites to win. But it only takes a matter of a few games, finding bad form for that to, for the position to completely change. I mean, we'll be playing them this weekend. So I think that's going to be a very, very exciting game. Well, they played Watford at the the weekend, and they only, it was only won, won one nil. And, and Watford had been battered by a lot of teams. Yeah, yeah. and and they scored in like the eighty plus yeah, minutes. So you know, not to say, I mean, they they got the win unbeaten in sixteen games, but as you say, it only takes one result or two, and and suddenly you've got everybody on your heels. Yeah, I mean, you only need a couple of you know draws even against teams that have you know parked the bus, and and that's it. And that's all of a sudden you've dropped points that you're expecting to get. And you know, if London City and we continue to find form, you you really can't be as cool it this year. I mean, Liverpool got a lot of stick when when they were sort of sliding down the WSL table and eventually got relegated. But I think this has been a good reset for them to kind of start again, build a lot of trust, I think, with fans um, and a lot of people in women's football with the investment that they've made, with the squad that they've put together, which obviously has the backing of a big global brand. And I think that's why people were so pissed off because they thought, you know, you're, you're one of the most profitable clubs in the world and yet your women's team is suffering because you can't, be asked to spend a little bit of extra cash on on ensuring that they compete at the top of English women's football. You're not building them a space at your 
ridiculous new training ground. But it's interesting to see some of the clubs that are doing it differently and kind of breaking the mould as well. Because we talked about Coventry United and maybe that overambition got them into trouble. And it's really interesting to see what London City Lionesses are, there, are doing because they're knocking on the door. Um, broke away from Millwall a few seasons ago. Having investment from this husband and wife duo, Anthony and Dan Culligan and their and their company, which is kind of trying to build a sustainable model for for, for their team, a full time squad, and they've got some good players. Rihanna Jarrett went there in the summer. I think a lot of people were surprised at that move because she could have gone to a you know potentially a bigger club, um, and she, she she decided to go there. And I think it's really exciting to see that success because talking about last week and how frustrating that is, you want to see successful models like. Durham and London City Lionesses and Durham have been knocking on the door for promotion for quite a few years now. Like you want to see these teams be able to prove that sustainable model works. And that's why it's so great to see them pull away from Millwall for whatever reasons there were. I mean, it was kind of a sticky situation mm-hmm. at the time, which, you know, lots of people can read up on, but kind of doing it in, in their own way. Yeah, and I think they show as well that it takes a couple of seasons to find your feet. Even if you are a professional outfit, you're not going to be top table straight away. I think they were fourth and sixth in their first two seasons. But now they're knocking on the door, which is a great thing to see. I think then the next big test will be seeing a club like that that's got a different sort of foundation being successful in the WSL because I think that in itself is a completely different challenge. Um, And if you're kind of leaning on one source of funding, you know, it it can be a little bit risky. We saw that at Coventry where they had, whatever, 49% of stake in the company. And once they pull out, you know, it can crumble. Yeah, you, so. you want to make sure there's other commercial things yeah. kind of supporting the development. I think what what I did, having looked at this kind of ahead of the pod, was it was really surprising the summer to see how many players left the club. There were 11 players whose contracts weren't renewed. Um, and I felt that was it was quite surprising. And I, I don't know if it's a sort of like a squad refresh thing. They also had quite a few managerial changes over the last couple of seasons. But I don't know if it's a squad refresh fresh thing or on a more kind of concerning side, it's a sort of like, we can't afford to keep these players on, we've got to start from scratch. Because I think the sign of a sustainable model is being able to secure players down for like a good amount of time. To not have, yeah, yeah, commitment, not having that revolving door, which so, even at the top of the women's game we see, which is just like one year rotating contracts. Like that's not sustainable for anyone. It's not sustainable for the players. And it's not sustainable for the club because you're missing out on potential transfer fees because everyone's leaving for free at the end Mm -hmm. of the season. So I'd like to see a, a bit more of that reliance on saying we've got this squad together and we're keeping them together for a long time. Well, I think, um, you know, when you look at where London City have come from, I mean, they were pioneers back in 2018. I mean, they were one of the first clubs in the championship to go full-time and fully professional. And a lot of teams around that year, what, three, four years ago, were just nowhere near that level of training, the level of commitment, investment, sponsorships, and all the things that go on behind the scenes. So what they did, I think, actually was really impactful in in how it progressed things with the championship because you started to see from that year on more and more championships starting to get you know more and more contact hours and go into or look at going into kind of hybrid models and going into full-time training so we were obviously a little bit surprised to see that you know quite a few of their squad were leaving but at the same time I think you know when you step up into that full-time professional model I think we all appreciated that you were going to have to get in players who were going to take you to the next level because that is where your ambition's got to be in the championship it's for that WSL promotion spot but you know they've done amazing things and I know obviously Chris Phillips was there and then I think he was there for about six months or so and they brought in someone different and you know it's gone it's a club that's gone from from strength to strength and you look at the kind of sponsorship that they're now getting from Kappa and I think it was Nike originally so you know they've done amazing things and you know even when you look at the kind of 
the the past and you know in comparison to where Coventry were I mean Coventry were on the obviously on the brink of administration a couple of weeks ago London Lions London it's City been Lionesses, a bit more of a gradual sort of fourth sixth like sort of climbing up the table not the quick and speedy sort of Coventry United from like zero to 100 it's it's sustainable and I think what it really highlights is that you need a good genuine proper investor who is care who cares about the long-term growth of the club it's not about making a quick buck it's not about seeing a return on your investment in a year's time because that just won't happen so I think what they've chosen is a good long-term solid investor who's willing to see the club into the next stages of the championship and, and maybe into the WSL this year next year um but yeah, I mean, credit to them. Let's talk Palace, though. Hello. <laughs> um, I mean, first we turn on, on the contracts, because we all know that it, at, in women's football, you don't get particularly lengthy contracts. We're starting to see a little bit more, especially the last like year or so. Look at Chelsea and City. They're locking players down to like three-year contracts, which is, you know, we've never really seen that beyond sort of Leon doing those sorts of things. But from a Palace point of view, from a championship point of view, this summer just gone... I was talking about 11 players leaving London City Lionesses. Did you guys have that much turnover? Is that much turnover quite common? Because um, obviously we, we do see players leaving quite quite quickly because they don't sign long contracts. But you know that's quite a big overhaul. And what, what have you experienced? I think it's difficult in the championship because there are women or female players who are in all different stages of their lives. So I think in the championship, you can have someone who's got a full-time job who is you know, 30, 29 years old. You can also have a player. You can be playing alongside girls who have grown up in the setup, they've gone through the academy and they've come through, not had, they've got their GCSEs and qualifications and then just gone into full-time football. So I think that's sometimes where the difficulty is, is that when clubs are starting to press into promotion or getting, you know, getting very serious about WSL spots, you have to look at the squad, where they're at with their lives and what they're able to really commit to. Because if you've, if you really have strong ambitions to get into the WSL, you need players who will be able to commit to either giving up their jobs, taking sabbaticals or youngsters who are in a position to, to obviously just play full time. So sometimes you are starting to see that clubs are, there's bigger turnovers happening where actually the squad that you had before isn't the squad that can take you into the next steps. But Palace are knocking on the door for... We are. You are. Um where do you see the rest of the season going? I mean, are, are you guys thinking more long term? Are you sort of thinking we're building now towards a serious promotion push next season? I feel like obviously your ambition for this season is still going to be to get as close as you can. You've got Liverpool next, so I think that is that, that's going to be the big game. I think it's no surprise that you know we're obviously coming coming up against the 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 leaders, the kind of the favourites really to to get into that WSL spot. And I think that's one of the issues with the championship, and it's the difficulties that you only have that one spot. If it was for mm. the second, if there was a second spot there, I think it would be slightly more competitive. But sometimes you kind of see, oh, okay, well it's clearly a runaway. You've got one spot, and it's going to yeah. go to X, Y, and Z, but I think that is going to be the big game for us. But in terms of, you know, Palace's ambitions, from where we were last year to where we are this season, I mean, we've already surpassed our points tally from last season. We've already achieved the most amount of points that we ever have in our history. So, and the squad that we have, like, even behind the scenes, and this is not just me being really gushy, and I hope that none of the girls listen to this, but there's such <laughs> a feeling of love and good vibes. Aww. And like, do you know what? We can actually, we can actually bloody do this. And I think we believe in that. Yeah. Give us some of the names to watch out for in the Palace side. Maybe some, some, apart from your good self, obviously. Of course. Um, 
Any like any young talent that we should be keeping an eye on in the Palace team at the moment? I've definitely got to give a shout out to Emily Orman. Um, goalkeeper Union, she's an 18-year-old, an incredible bloody talent. She's come over from Chelsea on loan. And yeah, she's I was going to say, I've definitely seen her before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely solid. And she was an integral part of the win against Durham this weekend. So I've got to give a massive shout out to her. She was incredible. But, you know, even players like Shiv Wilson has been absolutely phenomenal for us this season. Lizzie Waldy, who has been an absolute legend at the back and is also putting away goals because she just gets her head on anything that goes into the box. So I think those are my... My three players, but yeah, they're just, I, I love you all guys. Oh, well, Palace, Palace crew, I hope you're listening. Um, we're going to be keeping an eye on your big game this weekend and keep an eye on the championship, guys, because it's heating up. It's getting hot. It's very spicy. A long ball in. And Watford have it cleared and Liverpool have finally broken the deadlock. Katie Stengel with her first goal for Liverpool, securing surely their fourth straight win. I feel like every week there's some kind of Twitter storm that we can get our teeth into. Um, I mean, it's women's football. It's always something. And this week, the work's been done for us because the FIFA Best was announced, the FIFA Best Awards and the FIFA Best 11 and all that kind of stuff. Um, And it was hilarious as always. Um, And everyone was talking about it on Twitter. But uh, if you haven't seen it already... Alexia Pateas won the Best Women's Player of the Year award, which isn't surprising given the the season she had last year and the fact she won the Ballon d'Or. And she's going to clean up, I think, for for a fairly long time. Emma Hayes won Best Coach, which was kind of surprising. Um, and Christiane, Christiane Enler won Best Goalkeeper. And Christine Sinclair, Christine Sinclair picked up a, a special FIFA Best Award, which I think is sort of a, like a you're a legend kind of trophy. Um, but the uh, the thing that really got people talking was the Women's FIFA Pro World 11, which was unveiled, which is voted on by the players. And I've had a nerdy look into this and I'm still like sort of none the wiser, but also sort of the wiser. Um, but essentially, uh, there's a, a panel that's made up that, that vote on the Best Player of the Year award, which is, includes a coach, uh, a captain of a nation, uh, and a journo from that from that country, and then the players vote on the best eleven, and there were some surprising names included. Um, Christian Enler was the goalkeeper. Alexia Pateas didn't get in that team, which makes no sense to any of no. us. And then you had Lucy Bronze, who obviously spent a lot of the past year injured. Um, Millie Bright, which you know, brilliant player, but not sure. Um, Estefania Benini, who hasn't played that many games for Atletico Madrid yet. Uh, Carly Lloyd in midfield, who also, you know, played a ton of domestic football. Um, Marta, Alex Morgan. It feels like someone just went, can you name, you know, name a, a women's footballer and, and chuck them a mic? And they were just like, um, Lucy Bronze. And they were like, yeah, put her down. Um, yeah. It, it's really frustrating because you feel like you're making progress and then these awards come around and you're like, Great. Um, the, the people who should be getting recognition for what they're doing on the world stage aren't. Um, it, there was a severe lack of Spanish flavour in that team in that there were no Barcelona players, which is just bizarre. And I thought the Barcelona coach would win best coach as well. Like, I think Emma Hayes, is, Emma Hayes is a phenomenal coach. I think she's brilliant, but I was surprised that she won that award. And Bev Priestman Bev didn't Priestman even make the it. shortlist. That's the one thing that really annoyed me. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know... I'm a big fan of Emma Hayes. I'm less kind of shocked that she won it, right? I would have thought Cortez would win it as well. But um, the fact that Bev Priestman wasn't in it 
bizarre, absolutely bizarre. And obviously we love Serena Vigman because, you know, she now coaches England, but she hasn't really done anything in 2021. No, exactly. I was very surprised she made that list. So it's stuff like that that's frustrating. Like you say, it feels a bit like a popularity contest. Mm. Who do you know that plays in these positions? Um, it just, it ends up feeling like a tick box. And when you've got players on there, like, you know, obviously Marta is an absolute legend, but she's feels like she's been on every team of the year list ever since it ever existed. 20 years. <laughs> and she just has a permanent spot on there. Alex Morgan hasn't played, I think I looked at her stats and it was like, I think 15 domestic games and five goals. And then when you put those stats next to someone like Miedema or Sam Kerr or Frank Kirby or anyone like that, they're not on it. So, it, it was or Moso. Like, FIFA Pro's most followed players. Yeah, that, it that. was it almost like one of those social media, like who's got the most followers kind of vibe. Literally that, I just couldn't understand it. And you kind of look at who's absent and you would say, obviously the Barcelona players aren't there, no Kerr, no Hermoso, no Harder, Martins, Patelas, and you're thinking, okay, who is making these decisions? Is mm. it really the players, players who play at elite level who know who's doing business on the pitch? And none of those big names were there. And I think when you have a look at people like Carly Lloyd, I mean, it's not a legends list. It's a 2021 list mm. it's it's I, I just yeah I can't but would you it. say I guess what it shows is that even if you're playing the game the exposure is so minimal that you don't know a lot of players around the world apart from the most famous ones but if you're playing at elite level you'd be doing analysis because you'd be playing some of those people in those positions so yeah but you wouldn't oh into... I mean this is a lot of that's 3,600 players it's a lot of players some of them you have if to be living into- under a rock if you don't know anything about Barcelona or uh, Alexia Pateas or Hermoso. Like, I just, I've, I don't kind of fully, I, have, I agree with the argument in some sense that you may not be able to list, you know, uh, a good enough best 11 yourself. But the fact that there are zero Barcelona players in there just blows my mind. Like, like I say, you, if you, I just don't know how you can be involved in women's football at an elite level and not even consider Barcelona or no. It's madness. I mean, some of that you might as well have had Kelly Smith in there. But do you think? Do you think? Or think about like the discourse that often dominates a lot of women's football content is England and America, and it's not surprising that a lot of the players in this team are. English or American because of that because it's the dominating culture in football and especially women's football and therefore if you're like oh who should I name oh yeah Carly Lloyd definitely you know she's quite a legend blah 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 or Marta yeah I know her she's really famous like it's it's hard to get the because some people might know that Barcelona are really good but they may not have ever watched them play because I can't watch that league in their the country they okay. play in. I appreciate that. But but for argument's sake, I would say that this is quite a, you know, one of the biggest team awards going every year. And if I'm being asked to put forward players for that, would you not do a little bit of research? Like, no. okay. Oh my God, come on. You know what these guys are doing. They're literally just like well, that's uh, the problem. putting together a thing and filling it in within two seconds. That's the problem. They're not and doing research. It's part of the problem if we're looking at growing the game. You know, obviously the players are focusing on playing, but let's be real. Like they're also carrying the weight of, of growing the game. And part of that is is to try and take some of these things a little bit more seriously because otherwise you end up having, once again, women's football in the news for all the wrong reasons because we're all sitting here going, what the fuck's going on? Who made this list? Someone who's never played football. And then it turns out that it's actually female professional football players. So maybe it's about putting a little bit more emphasis on taking stuff like this seriously because otherwise we'll be here in 10 years' time with Carly Lloyd still on the bloody pitch and Marta and they'll both have retired by that stage. Yeah, and I think I think that's why you could kind of say like, well, this sort of screams for we need more exposure, so that the global game is grown, not just 
the leagues in you know America and the leagues in England and and a couple of of teams in Europe because you know Wendy Renard's in there because she plays for Lyon and has won a shitload of Champions Leagues but they they had a terrible season last year so you kind of like it's just it is like you say a popularity contest but you kind of got to I don't think I don't think too much work needs to be done by the players I think there's a lot more work that that the wider kind of football community could do agreed but what's kind of an easier quicker fix you know it's not just one or the other I think it should be both I think it should be a collective effort to improve these things obviously the exposure and the growth of the game is needed but I don't think asking players who are taking part in this to not just stick down a name they know it's it's important and I think putting that emphasis on the importance I think it's that if there's not more care and attention being taken with lists like this I think it will just invalidate the award is there's no point uh, everyone who knows about women's football who has any kind of decent interest in women's football and who follows it is going to know that that list looks like an absolute joke so it's it's kind of like a well they can name who they want at this point it doesn't it doesn't really matter they can name a Sunday league team it really doesn't matter because that that list is not reflective of the actual situation savage <laughs> we are annoyed <laughs> no I know I mean part of me when these things come out I'm like oh it's just only awards who cares anyway and then part of me is like no they're really important so I kind of flip between them but I do think it is it's kind of a, a two way street that you know Steph Horton England captain was on Jamie Carragher's podcast saying she never watches women's football so when then the task comes to talk about the global game your knowledge probably isn't going to be great because you admit that you <laughs> I haven't watched a lot of women's football. So I think it's it's really hard that sometimes you can't put all the trust in the players. True, but Steph Horton plays against Spain or the Netherlands or France. So she can at least name some of the players that she's come up against that are really bloody good or that kind of scare her as a defender. And I think that has a little more, little more validity than just kind of what's a big name I can remember. We'll have to see what happens next year with these awards see if it completely changes but I also agree with you in that like there's so many other more important things to be stressing about and, and focusing on in women's football but this just irks everyone every time I always I always don't understand how people lose their minds over BBC Sports Personality of the Year so much I'm like it's a made up award from a broadcaster why are you so obsessed and like getting so angry but about you it you expect everyone to, and I get it because I'm, you know, in the women's football bubble and you expect everyone to have the same kind of knowledge of women's football as you have, but they don't. In the same way that I'll vote for, I don't know, if there's a tennis award or whatever award, I don't know in-depth stuff about tennis as much as football, but I know who I like and I know who's decent, so I vote for them that way. And it's the same thing in women's football. You're like, you guys have put up quite a few um, videos of Miedema goals and she's broken records. I can remember that. I'll pick her. They're not going to kind of, you know troll through other especially if it's BBC it's going to be what games they've watched um, and now I sound like I'm I'm giving the opposite argument to what I said for the FIFA Pro <laughs> yeah, but exactly. but this is the public and I would actually prefer a public of 11 and I think it would be a more reflective public 11 than that's the, what's the quite one. funny about this because all the tweet the angry tweets was like oh who could vote for this and went plot twist it's the players <laughs> um, anyway we could literally sit here all afternoon and talk about this um we haven't talked about the Asian Cup, which said we would, so let's fly through that. Um, otherwise, we will be here off, all afternoon. Um, it's going to have a big impact on the WSL sides, but I don't want to get too sort of like, oh, whiny managers talking about AFCON and, and, and how much they're going to miss. Like, this is an exciting tournament. Um, there's lots of WSL players going to be involved. 
Australia have lost the last two editions to Japan and lost both of those finals 1-0. So I feel that there's going to be a bit of a Matilda's Revenge vibe going on this one. They've obviously got an exciting, young, talented squad. They did well at the Olympic Games. I feel like, you know, Japan has struggled in, in, in recent years, especially at major tournaments. So I feel like this could be Australia's time to shine in this competition. I'll be honest, what I'm most excited about is looking at who's going to progress to the World Cup from it. Because Australia are hosting, they've already bagged a spot. So it means that there's another, a new, a yeah, new voice. which is what I find quite exciting. I think you've got the likes of Japan and South Korea are, and China are probably most likely to, to go through. But who else? That's what I'm excited about. I really hope Thailand get through again and make another uh, major tournament because I know they, they made the, the Canadian World Cup in, in 2015, but... Their story was really highlighted on the, the world stage in 2019, despite being thrashed 13-0 by the USA. Um, so I'd love to see them in it again. And it's it's finding out who's going to take that next spot because it's exposing more teams to to the world stage. And that's just expanding women's football. So yes, obviously excited to see who wins it. But for me, I, I just can't wait to see who, who nabs all those spots. And it's fun as well to have a kind of like all or nothing qualification situation. Obviously, most of Europe, it's a bit of a slow burn, but it's quite fun to be like, right, you're playing in this tournament and this is how you're going to work out who qualifies. I think that's quite fun. Um, it will obviously have an impact on WSL clubs. Arsenal missing a lot of Aussies. City missing some Aussies. Chelsea missing Sam Kerr. Mano Ibuchi is going to be going to play with Japan. Jisoo Young is going to be going to play with South Korea. So it's one to watch, really. Um, kicks off on Thursday, this Thursday. Did see a tweet from Amy Rushke that it's going to be on Premier Sports, I think, in the UK, which is like, unfortunately, somewhere, another place you'll have to give your money to stream games. But uh, hopefully we might be able to find some kind of uh, some streams or something elsewhere. Not, I don't condone legal streaming, but, you know, like sometimes you can watch it on like the Middle Matilda's wait, wait, nudge, nudge. YouTube page and stuff like that. Um, anyone else that you guys are looking out for Yui Hasegawa um, she's a big loss for West Ham and I think was quite clearly missing when they played Spurs uh, on Sunday evening um, she's fantastic link up player between defence and, and forwards um, and has been huge a huge player for, for West Ham this season so she's a big loss for them but also one that I would be looking out for for Japan we've been talking for far too long Um Time flies when you're having fun. It really does. Yeah. And um, when you're angry. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you guys going to be this weekend? I will be at home, uh, Bromley, um, playing the big game against Liverpool. Um, Is your finger going to be better by then? I mean, I'll be able to wave at people. Um, <laughs> so you won't, the, you won't be in the squad? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure at this point. Okay. Yeah, we but I think so. we've got um, quite a few fans coming to the game. Um, nice. So I think I might be on fan duty, sort of meeting Meeting and greeting. And meeting and greeting. Yeah. The celebs. Seeing the, seeing the signing squad. Signing some autographs or maybe not so signing. But, Just you know, kind of like, oh, I've still got my right hand. I'll be okay. fine. Be yeah, fine. I've got like the under-14s, Crystal Palace girls coming along to watch the game. Aww, so that'd be really cute. So. Very cute. You're, you're yeah. on a crash duty then. It's not crash duty. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if they listen to this, it's, you're absolutely not. You're a fantastic, phenomenally, very mature <laughs> players. Um, but yeah, that should be fun sort of meeting the, the younger squads. Love so that. Um, Rachel, where are you at? I am off to West Ham this weekend, as far as I remember. And obviously, Sophie's going to Reading. Um, uh, so the curse. No, the good luck charm. The good luck charm. Yeah, I'm the curse. Um, so that's why we've, <laughs> we've chosen the games where we have. And... I'm doing um, Arsenal-Manchester United the Conti Cup on Wednesday night. You're maybe at Spurs? Hopefully at Spurs for Conti Cup. Looking forward to that one. A, a bit frustrating that quarterfinals aren't on televised, but hey-ho, here we are. And I'm going to be at 
Brighton on Sunday. Brighton women, I think they're playing Chelsea on Sunday. So Chelsea's first game since the 15th of December. Well, the first game is actually Wednesday night against West Ham, but their first WSL game uh, in a very long time. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. That's it for today's episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions for us, tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet, at Girls on the Ball, or at Morgie underscore 89. And we'll see you all next week. Football Ramble Presents is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.